You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, the creators of the powerful PV cell software. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of One Step Off the Grid and Renew Economy and just for good measure, the Driven.io, our EV-focused website. And uh, joining us as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics and Solar Expert. Expert. Uh, Nigel, how are you? Really good, thanks, Giles. Really good. You know, wind down to Christmas. Everything's happening. Everyone's running like crazy. But uh, yeah, really good. Really good. And you were our man on the spot at the Sundowners function in um, Sydney on Tuesday, which um, unfortunately I had to miss. But um, yes, we missed um, you, mate. We I know, I know. Look, um, with all, all all great intentions, but um, <laughs> wasn't able it. to get there. But um, look, I heard you. Um, in in our next episode, we're going to have um, some interviews that you did there. That'll be our final one for the year. So um, that should be a bit of fun but um by all accounts the party was good and um i'd just like to thank the four people who carried you into the studio propped you up in the chair strapped the um, <laughs> earphones to your head and shoved a microphone down your mouth because you're sounding quite good despite all that <laughs> despite the fact there was a nine thousand dollar beer tab yeah no i was very well behaved and and in fact uh I, I, I sort of positioned myself by the front door with uh, with um, a colleague, and um, we just diverted people uh, to my microphone. Uh, so I didn't get that much drinking time because I was too busy chatting to people oh. and hearing their views on uh, you know various different things. But yeah, terrific night, great job by the guys. So it's such a terrific little event, and um, really interesting mixed crowd as usual. A lot of a lot of big end of town, but also uh, quite a few installers and of course suppliers and everyone else. So. Great networking. Well, they've got a lot to be cheered about, cheery about this year. Um, um, obviously, um, installations are going at a record level. We'll probably just about nudge two gigawatts for just for roof, small-scale rooftop solar um, for the year. Um, one of our sponsors, SunWiz, um, well, uh, t- the true sponsor is PV Cell from SunWiz, but SunWiz produces its monthly um, um, data um, just the other day and showed that um, after a record month of 207 megawatts in October, um, 206 megawatts in November, um, and that's remember that's one day less, so um, haven't quite counted the weekends, but that's pretty strong. And the biggest ever month for any state, New South Wales, 60 megawatts, so things are um, ticking, things are still ticking over very nicely. Yep, it would appear so, mate, and, and certainly um, we just uh, set a new record, actually, for sales last month, so uh, here at Solar Analytics, we had an absolute cracker of a month, um, and um, you know, our take on that um, is that you know, everyone's getting ready for this, uh, for this rush to close the year. And what's just driving that at the moment? Is that because more people, as a percentage, are putting in monitoring devices and, and things like that when they're putting in new solar systems? Uh, there's a, a number of factors. So um, certainly uh, the trend is up for consumption monitoring and that um, you know makes us a more popular choice for sure. Um, interestingly, you know we sometimes um, 
uh, are substituted um, in the case of solar analytics. Um, you know, sometimes the choice is, do I just choose the inverter monitoring that's available with the inverter, or do I, you know, instead choose solar analytics? And there's been um, some shortages of a couple of different models of inverters, and um, so the replacement products. So there's been a big shift in the products that it, the inverter products that people are using at the moment because of this supply shortage, and uh, so a lot of the inverters that happen to be available either don't have great monitoring or don't have any monitoring and so we're picking up the slack which is um which is terrific well there you go that's fantastic yeah. and look speaking of records um renew economies also um achieved a record over the last month Ooh. in the month of november we got 1.25 million page views which is a record and when you add on the driven which now contains all our ev stuff um, and of course, one step off the grid, we got pretty close to two million views, page views for the month. So you have um, to print some extra t-shirts, mate. That's um, I might have to print some extra t-shirts. Um, yes, in fact, I, I expect sales will double over the next year. <laughs> <laughs> of the t-shirts um, and it'll be another record but um, that's fantastic and um, we'd just like to thank all our readers um, Absolutely. for that um, just so that, many but, but, so many I, I met last night Giles it was, oh, I love the show the show's great don't stop keep going keep going so many people I met um, were regular listeners so you know big shout out oh, to everyone fantastic. who supports the show yeah, absolutely. No, we do thank them and our sponsors. And um, and with a new sponsor too, that will be coming on board in the next episode, I hope, Ooh. and for the first half of 2020. So we'll talk more about that when that's all signed, sealed and delivered and they're on board. So um, oh, that's fantastic fabulous. as well. So that's great. Hey, listen, um, it's just interesting. Just Rooftop Solar has been in the news this week um, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, one is interesting. The ABC did a series um, um, done where they're, they're doing a series of they're doing a series of series like you know pick a topic do five or six days cover the whole week with um, investigative reporting so they're doing energy this week and quite a lot of focus on rooftop solar look yes. I was a bit miffed by the first episode because it kind of just fell into that typical mainstream media trap of going of just assuming that solar is a problem that needs to be solved mm. rather than an opportunity that needs to be taken advantage of and I think that's a really clear distinction but the quality of the program, the reporting, has gotten a lot better ever since then. Yes, certainly. Um, this morning uh, on Radio National, um, there was another episode with a number of um, great guest speakers who did a terrific job covering all sorts of aspects from you know large-scale stuff to, to um, a lot on residential and household stuff, a lot of conversations about batteries. Um, Finn Peacock uh, got a run uh, talking about you know how do consumers... Um, choose good gear. How do they? How do they? What kind of issues are they facing? Um, so yeah, no, t- terrific episode this morning. It's probably up on a podcast on the ABC's webpage, I'd guess. So worth a listen. Yeah, and look, this this thing about sort of you know this um, you know do you treat it as a problem that needs to be solved, an opportunity that needs to be taken advantage of? And look, I'd actually point people to a series of articles that um, Sophie uh, Varath has actually written on One Step this week, and it's some interesting stuff. One is just talking about. Um, a new large-scale rooftop PV thing, 1.7 megawatts. Normally, it'd be designed for self-consumption. This has got sp- particular technology, which means it can be switched from just sort of providing um, consumption to the um, to um, to the consumer um, or the occupant of, of the ha- of, of the building that has the roof, or just sort of push back into the grid when needed, um, or when the prices are right. And um, another article about sort of voltage controls about how rooftop solar and sort of, you know, you know, some pretty interesting technology can actually sort of solve the problems 
Um, you know, these are important things because too often we get some of the networks or some other people just sort of saying, oh, look, solar is too much of it. It's sending energy down the wrong way. But there's actually a lot of things that can be done at no great expense um, to... To, to to use to, it to, to a benefit, yeah. Well, exactly, exactly, and, and turn it into an asset. And it was really interesting looking at the um, Australian Energy Market Operators report for the their summer readiness plan for um, this coming summer. And look, that's going to be, as they say, pretty tight. You've got these massive heat waves, you've got bushfires, you've got dust storms, you've got um, a whole bunch of aging generators. You've got two big generators in Victoria out at the moment, and hopefully they'll come back online. Um, so there's no guarantee that there won't be any sort of load shedding as there was earlier this year in January. But it was interesting to note how they sort of talked about solar, both small scale and large scale, as um, as um, uh, reducing the risk of outages um, simply because there's so much rooftop solar put on in the last 12 months that that's, that's actually reduced the size of the peak. Operational demand on the grid and also pushed that peak well into the evening. So um, that just gives them a bit more headroom um, to, um, to deal with any problems uh, should they arise. Indeed. And, and you know, I, I am really, really heartened by how much... Um, uh, time and energy is being put in finally. I mean, it's still happening probably a little bit late, but there is a lot of energy and time being put in now into how to make uh, our grids more flexible, how to get them caught up um, with the, the changing requirements and of, of, um, of, of demand and of loads and of renewables and everything else. And um, I recently stumbled across, in fact, it came up in conversation last night, a, a program called DEEP, um, the Distributed Energy Integration Program, um, which is a, a very, very forward-thinking and much-needed um, organisation or, or, or program, if you like, um, with a steering committee including AEMO, the AER, the AMC, ARENA, Energy Consumers Australia, CSIRO, the Clangy Regulator, the COAG Energy Council. It's got everybody in it and a bunch more. And, um, you know, their mission essentially is to, you know, firstly, you know, really establish what the, the challenges are, um, you know, what, what are these issues, what are the things that can be done, um, what's the framework going to look like to get those changes through? What are the um, tests that we've got out there that we can already lean on? The studies that have already been done. So they, so they kind of they've got this really nice terminology I like, which they kind of lay over the entire market called a market optimization engine. And um, the idea is to optimize, you know, VPP, um, DER, DRM. Uh, to take in all the information that's that's out there, um, to enhance reliability and to lower costs for consumers. So to leverage all the benefits that we can get through renewables. And um, it's terrific to see uh, the deep working group uh, on their way. They're about a year into their um, to their efforts so far. And hmm. um, yeah, that's the kind of approach that we really, really need uh, is just to just to you know get on with it and transform the market. Absolutely, yes. And, um, and mostly what they want is visibility and they'll get um, visibility one through monitoring devices such as you guys produce at Solar Analytics and get out there, but um, also through some probably some changes to inverter standards and things like that. Um, because right. one of the difficulties they have at the moment is not really knowing what's out there and what it's doing. Um, and that's so, so that's an important do you know, thing. Joss, you know, literally 10 minutes ago before I walked in here, uh, one of the guys in our office came in and, say, hey, and said, hey, Nigel, 
have a look at this. We've had, uh, we've had the guys in algorithms playing uh, with uh, some of the data from a bunch of sites, and we've got this idea. So, so, sorry, can you just stop there? Have you got a division called algorithms? Yeah, algos. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's fine of course you do. Algos. Of course you do. Everyone does. <laughs> anyway, on, yeah. on with the story. Full-blown data scientists, too. They're awesome. Um, so the algo team, um, you know, they basically, you know, crunch numbers and work out smart formulas to make those numbers, you know, tell us stuff. And we've been involved in a number of voltage studies in particular around the country and sharing some data about what we can see at a very, very granular level, more granular, of course, than the networks can, um, with our devices across 34, 35,000 locations now around Australia. And one of the cool things that they just brought to me 10 minutes ago, they said, hey, Nigel, do you think it would be handy if we sent out a summary or, or an alert that said to a solar installer, hey, look, we've had a look at, um, at your you know, 500 different sites and we can see, in fact, that 37% of those experienced voltage outside the specifications uh, for, for one hour a month and, and 25% were outside voltage specifications and therefore the inverter tripped out for three hours a month and, and so on and so on and so forth. So we're now starting to develop products and services for our installers and for our consumers so that we can actually automatically deliver um, uh, notification of voltage events in the network. And uh, of course, some of them are very, very short in duration. Um, it may be caused by load coming on and off or the house tripping something out because the voltage slumps because some wiring's bad, or it may be caused by an imbalance in phase voltage, or it may simply be that the grid's uh, out of out of specification and the inverter's turning on and off. So there are a number of different things that can cause this to happen. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about where we can use you know big data um, to learn all sorts of lessons. So um, yeah, this is this is definitely the direction that uh, that we where we can deliver huge benefits and and you know this is this is uh, not something that we're asking the government to invest in we're just asking people to take note of the data quite right too quite right too hey look before we go into the next um part of uh, the next segment of this um this show i just want to sort of um, have an acronym alert um and um <laughs> sorry, partly sorry. yeah i know you went vpp <laughs> virtual power plant dr distributed energy resources and what was the other one um dsm drm, DRM demand response management something yep. like that yep. and um and apologies to the person and everybody else who might have noticed that i actually called these acronyms anagrams last time and i was told in no uncertain terms that it wasn't an anagram and they were quite right and who knows what i was thinking at the time so um <laughs> there you go <laughs> um our interview we're gonna go good solar then we're gonna go crap solar let's go good solar first you've got a, another another one of your interviews on the road nigel tell us who it is and why I, I do. Um, so we uh, regularly interview Australian solar businesses. Been a very popular segment, actually. Lots of people uh, telling us how much they love it. So we'll keep doing these interviews. Um, this one's from New Zealand. When I was over at CNs uh, a few weeks back, uh, I got to meet up with Mark Huskin from Mercury Energy, who are an energy retailer in New Zealand, um, who actually purchased a solar company a couple of years back. Had a really fascinating story to tell about what that transition was like, what the market's like. So let's hear what Mark had to say. Welcome back to Meet a Solar Business. I'm here with Mark Hoskin from Mercury Energy. How are you today, Mark? I'm very good, sir. Thank you. 
That's good. Um, thanks heaps for spending the time to tell us about your solar business. You've got a really, really interesting story, uh, which I know some bits ab uh, about. Um, but let's let's go right back to the beginning. You're sitting here at CNs today. How did you end up in solar? Where did you come from? Why did you end up sitting here at this conference today? Well, that well, this could be a long story. Um, I uh, I came to New Zealand five years ago. Um, uh, before then, I was uh, a partner in a financial advice firm, and we specialised in ethical investment. And um, I got involved in about 2012 in raising money for um, enterprise investment scheme funds, uh, putting uh, solar on residential roofs and taking the feed-in tariff for investors. And so we raised, uh, I wasn't directly me, but I was one of the three people who raised £16 million to as a fund for investors. And Here in New Zealand? No, this is in England. In so England. this, uh, this right. is feed-in tariffs. There's no, there's no ah, subsidy in New Zealand course, at all. And so what happened was uh, when I came to New Zealand in 2014, this is a few years later, um, uh, I'd got my interest in solar uh, from an investment perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I came um, to this conference, the Science Conference, five years ago, uh, to the day pretty much, wow. uh, six weeks after I arrived in New Zealand. and basically was doing what we're doing here but I ended up you know having a few beers and I talked to Dave Keppel and Henry and ended up and said why don't I come down and work with you for a bit and so I worked for him for free for two or three months trying to work out if there was an investment case for solar yeah. uh, realized that there wasn't much hope in me fun getting finance going here because the economics just aren't as strong and uh, ended up just sort of he said well why don't you come work for us so I ended up working three days a week and, uh, and then of course Dave sold the business to Mercury and I ended up being part of that sale <laughs> And you survived too. And I survived, I'm still here. <laughs> well, well done. I love it. There's always an interesting story um, when, when you get to, to people and, and, and find out what their backstory is. So wh what's your USP? What's the secret to your company's success? Oh, well, it's difficult to talk about. I find it difficult to talk about success in New Zealand when it comes to solar because the market's kind of slightly shrinking, if not levelling, mm. um, which is completely different to the rest of the world. And most of that's because there's no, because New Zealand's 80% renewable or 80, 85% in terms of its energy production, or um, there's no real incentive for the government to help anything. So everything works, um, you know, off just normal economics. And actually, you find a lot of the vested interest is, is sort of sets legislation up to try and dampen the impact of new technology, not help it. Mm. And so it's really a bizarre situation in New Zealand where you find you're fighting against a slight wind. Mm. Um, so success, what's the success? I suppose the success is that we're still here. Um, Always. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, and people are still in the business and still trying, but um, you kind of feel that everyone's talking about the sort of the hockey stick. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get better, it's going to get better, and yep. they've been doing that for five years and it hasn't really taken off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Um, what's the, so, you know, some big challenges, and New Zealand's always been a fascinating market, but what's the biggest opportunity you see for your business right now? When, when you get back to the office after the conference, after a beer, uh, and you're back at your desk, what's the next big thing you're working on? Interesting. Well, there's a lot of... Um, a lot more of our sales these days are done in the last two years. I mean, 30% of our solar sales come with batteries. Mm -hmm. um, the technology is going to make this interesting in terms of the, the, the drop in the price of batteries um, is going to make um, 
is potentially going to drive solar sales up. I mean, ultimately, what we really want is for the power price to go up, which is politically not very acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there's a lot more of a movement in, in commercial installations in New Zealand. There's not been very many commercial installations. So I think the real growth opportunity probably is in is in the big commercial roofs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why big companies are doing it is for a sustainability agenda. Uh, they've got to hit some environmental cr- credentials. I was actually talking to uh, a, a, a local mate of mine, actually, who um, is runs a property business in Auckland which uh, owns a lot of the countdowns big supermarkets and um, I said well what's your financial motivation for doing this and he said well actually uh, I can get green bonds on the market uh, uh, two or three basis points lower than if I don't have this so not only does it look good for my customers and they like it from a PR perspective I'm actually my cost of finance will drop so for him there is a financial objective but it's not directly related to the savings Um, it's kind of a cute, it's sort of a cute play for these guys. It's not, a, it's not, it's not fundamentally economically. It's sort of kind of neither here nor there. But it, mm-hmm. it's a sort of a cute play on his property portfolio to make him look better, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fascinating. That's, we've, I've had a conversation with all my Australian peers here, and I said, "What's the, what's CNs like?" It's my first conference, and they all say it's like Australia ten years ago. <laughs> so yeah. with all those little niche cute applications that yeah yeah so similar yeah and uh, but unfortunately you know in australia obviously you had massive um government support has just made the market go rocket yeah. and and that's happened everywhere in the world i think i don't know if there's another country like new zealand in that respect actually there yeah. probably isn't yeah. uh, maybe norway i don't know yeah uh, somewhere with lots of hydro yeah, yeah yeah although ironically if you talk to most of the solar installers in australia they'll tell you they can't wait for the rebates to go uh because it distorts the market so much but that's um but yeah. you know that's that's a different problem What's so coming back to the business? Um, what's the best investment decision that you guys have made uh, over the history of the business? Oh, wow, I've not been asked that. Um, I, oh, I think you- I can ask. Can answer that? Good. good I good. think um, I think the best investment decision was actually made by Dave Keppel. Unfortunately, Dave uh, died a year and a half ago. Dave owned the business, sold into Mercury. But what Dave did, he was very bullish. He, he used to he used to buy product before you know. And so he had a warehouse full of old product we couldn't sell. But but that made him bullish. And um, what he did do, he went up, he went off to Tesla and he bought 100 Teslas uh, up front. Now of course Mercury got the wallet to do that. That must have bought a million dollar expenditure straight off the bat when you don't really know what the market's going to do but what it did do is it secured us Teslas when no one else had them uh-huh. and so from an investment perspective that was quite a good move we sold I think last year uh, 80 Teslas as a result um, because we could supply them mm-hmm. and you just couldn't get them mm. uh, because New Zealand is the, is the end of the world so to speak in terms of the supply chain and uh, one of our big problems in New Zealand has actually been supply of product yep. Um, yep. and so Dave actually uh, committing to Tesla and getting them to put him at the front of the list because he's bought 100 of these things um, was a very good decision. That is savvy. Yeah. Savvy. Nice, nice. So let's uh, let's go the other way. Uh, what was the biggest mistake that you made in business? What did you misjudge? Well, I'd probably say my answer, Dave bought a lot of other product <laughs> that never sold. <laughs> and it probably around batteries yeah, too. Sure. Um, yeah, batteries that um, superseded really quickly. Right. Like, um, you know, I mean, lithium-ion... Um, hasn't been around that long and, and the early products were superseded very quickly. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, we didn't really get into it. I mean, Enphase had a battery system mm. um, and we bought a few of them, but, but they're still in the warehouse and we've had them in there for three years because we just didn't sell them. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, this problem with this business is, is a high turnover of... Um, well, the great thing about this is there's lots of new product. The bad thing is you can get stuck with product. Yep, yep, yeah. yep, yep. That's a story I've heard many times before. Uh, similar kind of vein, but slightly different slant. Um, what lesson took you the longest to learn? Mm. Lessons to learn. Um, well, 
Probably uh, dealing with customer complaints, actually. Mm. Um, uh, and, and this was driven very much by the corporate rather than us as individuals. Mm -hmm. um, really getting our heads in, around the complaints and understanding them and trying to change process mm -hmm. probably took us a year to really understand that uh, we were very we were a target for people if they were complaining because we don't really don't like complaints because fair go which is a, tr uh, is a tv show over here loves having go at the energy companies and being a solar energy company we're very we're we can be quite easily a victim mm -hmm. and mercury doesn't like that as a br from a brand perspective mm -hmm. and so actually listening to our customers a bit more and trying to uh Try, trying to stop the complaints coming in because I realised that Mercury were going to buckle under these complaints and they were just going to accept what the customer says even though I wasn't convinced that the salesman had done a bad job. Mm. The point was we hadn't crossed our eyes, dot, dotted, yeah, crossed our T's, sorry, dotted our eyes. And um, I suspect that was a year of pain where we had to deal with complaints and we're getting frustrated, very frustrated, and realised the only way we're going to change this is actually to change what we're doing at the sales end. Yep. yep. Um, and that's probably the, yeah, if we'd learned that a lot quicker, it would have been a lot easier. Right. The challenges of scale, hey? Yeah. Um, great. What did you think was true that turned out not to be true? Oh, I suppose if you go right the way back, I thought the savings we can make with solar were much higher than they actually are in practice. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for for uh, numerous reasons, um, there are lots of things that go into you know your um, your payback on solar. Uh, one of them is self-consumption, and self-consumption rates for customers even with solar is, is lower than you might expect. Um, 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 you know, power rates, you know, t when we actually, it's, it's better today than it was, but when Mercury bought Watt Power Crisis, if you bought solar, once you became a solar customer, you got a different meter, actually your energy rates went up. Mm -hmm. it's, it, and, and that's because the energy companies control the retail rates. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, when they bought a solar company, that changed a bit. But um, um, but all these things fight, you know, you, the savings, it's not as simple as that because the market isn't necessarily fair. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, things like... Um, you know, you can get uh, you get a lower power rate if they can turn your water cylinder off. If you put solar on a battery and you don't get credit for that, even though you're not using the the grid. Yep. So all these market factors make solar less attractive than you think they should do. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, you, I guess you learn that over time, and uh, you learn to accept it to some extent because there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, which company or person? This can be local, international, however, however you want to position your response. Which company or person um, do you aspire to be like most? Which business or, or person, you know, kind of sets you on fire, and you think I'd like to emulate that? I'd like to I'd like to do more of that type of thing. Mm. Um. Oh, you got me there. I've never thought about that. Really? No. Um, <laughs> who do I like to be like? Who do I? I suppose I could answer that. Who do I respect? Um, yeah. Um, Paul from Sunergize has done a great job at um, deliver. Uh, he went. He's gone and got um, uh, World Bank funding and gone into the Pacific Islands to put solar systems in across the Pacific Islands. Yeah. Uh, from a standing start, which is quite impressive. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, like many people in New Zealand, how much money he's making out of it, mm. but he's still doing it. Yeah. Um, and that's quite impressive. And their whole branding around the Sunergize uh, thing in the Pacific Islands. I don't know if you've come across them. Have I you? Don't know, Paul. Uh, it's, it's quite impressive what they've achieved, really. Yeah. Um, um, and from a New Zealand perspective, I suppose, you know, you can only but respect Solar City, which is no relation to the US Solar City. Um, 
Uh, um, they've they've basically gone balls out, and they've got a, a finance program for 20 years for these um, f- for their uh, residential customers. Mm-hmm. I think the economic model is um, is risky, uh, but you know if they pull that off, wow, that is that is something else. But we won't know they pull it off for probably 10 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Great, great, great. If you could change one thing in in the solar industry, what would it be? Um. I think the first, I think as I kind of alluded to it, I think I'd change the um, electricity environment in which we have to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, let's make solar a positive thing and really help people to do this rather than put constant obstacles in the way to stop them doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, in New Zealand, there's no pressure. There's no real pressure to help it happen. Mm-hmm. In New Zealand, they complain that solar customers make power more expensive for everyone else. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the rationale that the sort of... Um, you know, if if New Zealand had a different electricity setup, network setup, and uh, almost sort of general approach to solar, it would it would big, make a big it would give a big help to solar. Yep. Um, so the policy and regulatory environment. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, um, there are two in, in New Zealand. There are twenty six lines companies. Yep. There's four million people. I mean, it's almost like a lines company a person. <laughs> and so you've got all these different people competing who feel threatened, and they mm. do they deal with it in different ways. Mm. Um, I mean. I don't know who set that up, but completely nuts. I mean, yeah. I mean, how many lines companies are in Australia? I've no idea, but it's probably two or something. No, probably a few more than it's that. It's more than that, but it's certainly not. It's not 26. 26. <laughs> um, but you know, it just creates this environment where everyone's got their own agendas, and um, and when you've got a new technology, try which actually the lines companies feel slightly threatened over, mm-hmm. not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, last one. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, project yourself forward five years. What's your business going to look like? Oh, well, I hope I hope we're doing a lot more business yep. is what I'm doing. Uh, what's it going to look like? Um, uh, I, ho- I hope that we'd, um, you know, uh, uh, solar arrays on commercial buildings are a, a, a thing that is commonplace. Uh, I hope that every new build that goes in New Zealand has a solar system on it. Um, and I hope that we are part of that growth story. Uh, but you know, f- from our perspective, it's it's it, it would be things like the government saying every new build needs solar on it mm-hmm. to change the to change the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in five years' time, power prices will be higher, and hopefully, solar panel prices will be lower. So the economics is going to improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to get any feed-in tariff support or any tariff support like you do in other countries. But there are other there are other factors. You know, time. Time is going to help solar most probably, mm. um, particularly with population growth. Mm. So I'm hoping that therefore the solar business can can grow. I mean, to give you a flavour, um, you know, Mercury's solar business brought in what three to four million of turnover last year, uh, and I think our I think our turnover in Mercury is two billion. So you can see um, you can see how solar is a as an import ranking on importance from a commercial perspective just is not there it's a challenge yeah i mean we do talk about the awesome foursome at mercury which is um which is wind geothermal hydro and solar mm-hmm. um but when you actually look at the economics solar is just a is a, is a minnow relative mm-hmm. and, and it really needs something to happen to change that perspective yeah, become material yeah, yeah well yeah. We, yeah that's quite right i mean you could almost write our business off within mercury and it's not being material point on the accounts you know <laughs> but from a pr perspective it's a lot bigger don't get me wrong yep. it's a very important pr and a very important statement about renewables yep. but from a economic perspective it just isn't there yep. yeah Brilliant. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure learning a bit more about another uh, solar business from uh, New Zealand. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much.
And that was um, Mark Huskin from Mercury Energy um, over in New Zealand. Um, um, the land of the rising... What is it? The land of the something cloud? The long white cloud. The long white cloud and with no solar subsidies, but um, an industry small but, um, but uh, getting bigger. That's right. And, and you know, um, watching, I mean, fascinating to see a retailer over there jump into the space despite the size, the small size of the market. But, you know, this kind of highlights what we mentioned last episode, that, that you know, there's some really clever, really in- innovative stuff over there. And, and, you know, to see a retailer jumping into the space and actually acquiring a solar company. And, and you know, then the, the really interesting story was, you know, how do you take a small solar company and integrate it into a large retail entity? And, um, you know, he gave a great presentation about some of the lessons that they learnt in that, and, and and it was more about how to build a good solar business. So yeah, really, really fascinating. Um, and and uh, we've got some more from New Zealand to come in the next uh, next few episodes too. Fantastic, fantastic. Unfortunately, despite all the good stories we have, there is the occasional um, bad story. Um, and um, the good news about that is that some of them do get caught and. Um, and, and do get sort of hit in the head by regulators. So give us the mm. first one. This is from the UK, um, Nigel, but of, of, of such a scale that it was worth mentioning. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. And I, I, I kind of like this one because it highlights that, you know, crap solar is not unique to Australia. I think we coined the phrase. I think we can own that. Um, but uh, certainly some stuff in the UK. Um, I haven't seen all the details, but what I do know is that 760 victims uh, fell, uh, fa- or fell, you know, became victims of a, of a fraudulent solar panel scheme. Um, there was about £400,000 involved. I think this one might have been a, a sort of a take the deposit type deal like we've seen uh, previously in Australia where they take deposits and promise stuff and then don't deliver. Um, two men, uh, Stephen Wilson and Robert Ross, or actually they were two of six men uh, who were convicted for their part in the energy uh, solar energy savings limited scam um, which I quote which manipulated victims with deceitful sales techniques and false guarantees of reimbursement to sell and install solar panels um, so yeah that's um, it's good to see lawmakers around the world watching this space and catching out the small handful of um, dodgy players out there who um, you know mess up what is otherwise a wonderful wonderful industry absolutely and just sort of a reminder to consumers out there that um, you know just to sort of take care um, particularly when you get unsolicited approaches particularly door-to-door and over the phone um, and um, and also play for other people in the industry who are doing good things if you do see um, any dodgy um, people out there do um, dob them in because um, it's for the good of the industry and um, that's exactly what's happened in our next case a whole series of consumer complaints against one particular person and his business and consumer affairs in Victoria have finally caught up with him they have um, they've actually started legal action and and published the details now um, uh, of a breach by a company called Vic Solar Technologies and and their director uh, a young 29 year old fellow um, and um, you know, essentially, what happened here is, you know, he's been entering into unsolicited consumer agreements. He's been applying high pressure, high pressure sales tactics, um, and and has been caught out for it after a, a series of different complaints. 
Um, uh, this gentleman particularly has a little bit of form, according to the forums, for making claims about you know products that were actually Chinese being made in Germany and so forth. So it's good to see him uh, finally being caught and penalised. Um, and in, and indeed the you know the effort and, and emphasis on uh, particularly on what's going on in Victoria. It's like a honeypot down there at the moment because of the rebates, and uh, there um, is an enormous amount of focus on catching out unscrupulous companies down there and there's a lot of shenanigans going on which are being investigated very very hard um, so yeah it really pays um, to you know for consumers to really take their time um, uh, don't feel in any way pressured into making a purchase uh, take your time uh, you know um, make sure you you um, do your research uh, get a couple of quotes uh, and um, you know the golden rule I think always is you know not only look for approved companies but um, uh, don't necessarily take everything you can say uh, you can see on the web for granted um, and do a little bit of research it's not actually that hard to do a little bit of research and go well how old is this company are they a local company are they based up the road um, or are they from you know 2,000 kilometers away and have suddenly flown in here to just make some money and are going to vanish again and leave me in the lurch so do your research and and um, good on Consumer Affairs Victoria for uh, taking this action. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Good news. Mate, to round off the program, we better have a quick discussion about electric vehicles. And um, a great big Mia Kappa has come from one Nigel Morris. Apparently <laughs> 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 it's an electric motorcycle. What's going on, Nigel? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I haven't made this... Um, so read the story, I would say. I believe you might put it up in the next day or so, Giles. But um, I, my, my world of electric motorcycles has kind of come crashing down um, over the last year with a problem that I have not been able to resolve. And it's kind of a long and sorry tale. But the, the long and the short of it is, despite my best efforts, my bike's been actually off the road for almost a year. Um, and um, in desperation, I've actually bought an old petrol motorbike, Giles. Oh, shame on you. Uh, um, which... Uh, uh, I, I, I really laboured over the decision and, and simply didn't have the I don't have the ability to go out and buy a brand new electric motorcycle a motorcycle I beg your pardon um, nor do I particularly want to given that I've got one that's only four years old that should have quite a good life left in it and so I've been battling it out with the factory who've generally been pretty good um, but you know Australian owners are left a bit stranded at the moment and, and I'm one of them who's got a, a problem that shouldn't really be a problem but is um, and so yeah it's a bit of a story about how it's challenging being an early adopter of new technology um, I'm, I'm desperately 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 trying to get it back on the road and just can't wait but um, it did make me reflect and uh, reflect on a number of things not least of which was the complexity of trying to fix an old petrol powered motorcycle engine um, I think in my story I, uh, I mentioned that uh, I did a parts count while I was pulling apart this old engine that I've got <laughs> uh, which has 387 parts all of which have very very fine tolerances and all of need to be in perfect condition and work in perfect unison and all be lubricated perfectly and matched and you know we're actually sitting there with micrometers measuring every part up and you know making sure everything's within tolerance and my zero by contrast has 15 parts compared to 387 parts so just so many less things to go wrong unfortunately if um, one of them does go wrong it's still the same problem 
That's right. And, and, and I mentioned, and you know, I looked at that and actually looked up some stats on motorcycle uh, failure rates and, and um, included a link there to, to, to show that, you know, it's not just electric motorcycles. Petrol motorcycles go wrong too and people are unhappy about the service and support that they get with, with petrol-powered bikes. So it's not all about electric bikes, but certainly um, a bit of a lesson there uh, for early adopters, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, what did you make of the Tesla Cybertruck um, unveiling? by Elon Musk last week it was um, something pretty mm. special I've got to say and I've been quite surprised by the response to it I actually heard on, um, on on the ABC there was a program download this show and they're normally pretty good but they just seem to be obsessed by the design of it and the look of it and um, and, and, and just seem to sort of forget um, what to me were some of the significant ones one that the, um, the low cost of this um, ute um, if you think in terms of what um, a good Toyota Hilux would probably cost and then you've got the performance and the savings the cost savings of this thing and compared to the other electric utes that are going to be on offer from people like Bollinger and, um, and Rivian um, that was a major major step forward I thought and um, look, I'm not too sure if I like, like the look of it, but um, um, I, I need my I need time to get around it, my, my, my head around that one. But um, geez, talking about standing out in the in the crowd, and, um, and 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 to me, a bit of a step change in the way that we think about cars. And I think that's really the whole thing that's going to happen over the next ten years is we are going to change the way that we think about cars. Yeah, yeah. No, look, it was fascinating, and uh, I, I've watched um, watched a number of different videos uh, about the launch. I mean, just so bold, right? That that was what it struck me as was really, really, really bold. Um, and and a couple of things, um, a couple of highlights for me. I mean, I'm with you. I listened to the. Um, um, to uh, download this show's review as well. And they made some really, really interesting points about the, the, the fact that it's, you know, the cult of personality, right? It's about Elon and who he is and he's this weird, awkward guy, but we kind of love him um, and he's breaking the mould and he's doing all sorts of things in very, very different ways. And um, I don't know that I agree with everything they said on... on, on and. and they were very biased and, you know, the thing looks like a stealth bomber. Well, okay, sure, that's not going to work for everyone. But the point is, as he has demonstrated before, he goes for a niche first and he, he goes after people who... He goes... He's, he, with this car, on my personal view, is he's built this for the fanboys, right? He's built it for people who want to make a big statement with with a Tesla, um, as he has done in the past, building some pretty pretty outlandish things. I just like the fact that he actually build cars which don't look like everything else. I mean, gosh, I know I was. Yeah. I, I, I drove behind an MG the other day, an SUV didn't look like an MG at all. I drove behind yeah. a Mercedes and a BMW and everything. They all look the same. I just can't believe yeah. it. It's just sort of you know, yeah. give me something different. I mean, I don't particularly like that Cybertruck. As uh, I don't think you'll see me driving it, but um, mind you, it'd probably be fun to drive. But um, you know, <laughs> give me something different. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I haven't put a deposit down, and there's every pretty much 99% of the people I met said, yeah. I threw 100 bucks down what's what do you got to lose right i'm not don't have to worry about it for probably two years um uh, so I got time to save up the $60,000 or whatever it is that I need to actually get one. But um, I'm with you. Like, I mean, mind-blowingly impressive, really amazing features. Of course, I want an electric quad bike. Of course, I do, um, that I can charge from my own ute. Um, of course, I want something that's indestructible. To me, I like the design because to me, it looked like a palette. It was a blank canvas, right? Uh, and there have already been dozens and dozens and dozens of designs that have emerged of people with, using different colour schemes. And because it's 
kind of angular and 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 flat uh, on so many planes, it actually lends itself to some really cool designs. So I think it, it would lend itself really, really nicely to all sorts of customization, let alone the fact that it, it's just super cool. Having said that, would I want to drive around town in one? Look, I don't want to be the centre of everyone's attention on a vehicle like that. My Zero is quite innocuous and I kind of like that, right? Mm. Um, uh, so I'm not into making a massive statement with a vehicle like that. Um, it also just wouldn't fit in my driveway because it's so bloody enormous. <laughs> uh, so I could not get it in my driveway, even if I wanted to. I got the tape measure out and measured it and went, ah, oh, dang, okay, can't do that. Um, but does it stop me wanting to own one? No, it doesn't. I would, I would wear the pain of looking like a knob driving around in a stealth fighter kind of weird truck um i would wear the, the pain of that just because it is so damn cool from a technological perspective and more power to him for actually bringing out something so incredible and and i like that it's bold i like that yeah. it's bold yep. pity about the window that was a bit of a stuff up yes uh they got that well, wrong was, did you hear the story behind that well they threw the metal ball at a couple of times before the show and i would have thought that that might have actually weakened it a bit and uh, maybe they were quite um um you know maybe they need another, another prototype to uh to do that. Well, one one detailed analysis that I read showed some slow-mo video where they demonstrated how when they hit the door with the hammer, the window dropped down about 10 or 15 millimetres, so the top of the window was unsupported, and that's why it smashed. Um, that's, the st- that's the theory going around at the moment. Either way, fairly major PR blunder. Whoops. Um, um, but having said that, you know, great PR. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if France is still the chief designer of Tesla. I haven't actually heard, but um, <laughs> he was a guy with a sledgehammer and with the metal balls thrown there. But um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Hey, look but, at- you know, great platform to bring the technology out and, and you know, then he can make something a bit more conventional yeah. uh, when he's got the scale, right? And I'm just going to finish off and another interesting stats. The um, This week, the latest data for... Um, for new car sales in Australia has come out and, um, you know, a bit like the sort of the solar boom is happening, but the car crash is also happening. Passenger vehicle, new passenger vehicle sales down 21.3% in November. And it's really interesting because the industry is sort of talking about, oh, well, you know, the typical economic things about tight lending conditions and lack of confidence in the economy. Guys, wake up. It's because everyone is sitting there, or enough people are sitting there thinking, my next car is going to be an electric vehicle. I'm not going to trade in mine now, even though I normally would in the normal scheme of things. I'm just going to wait an extra year or two, drive my petrol and diesel car a bit further, and then get an electric vehicle, because I knew if I bought a new fossil fuel car now, it's not going to be worth tuppence halfpenny in five or six years' time. And um, I think you're right on the money with that, mate. I was actually in a cab coming home last night, having that very same conversation, and both the guy I was chatting to and myself were both saying exactly that. I'm actually just extending the life of my current old truck a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's doing the same with his old, uh, his old um, uh, rust bucket. He said, I'm just extending it a bit more. I'm gonna, just going to run it a little bit longer, a little bit harder, because I know that in another year or two, 
Um, you know, if we're, if they're at um, sort of sixty k now for a Model Three, where are they going to be in another year or two? They're going to be very, very affordable. Yeah. So I'm, I'm extending. So I reckon you're right on the money. Yeah, and absolutely. Another little um, tidbit from that data was that the three cars that did actually increase, the three models that did increase sales, um, were all um, all had hybrid versions of them. So like the Rav Four, for instance, up fifty percent um, from oh, last wow. year. That fifty percent is entirely. Um, due to the fact that it's now got a hybrid version which has sort of sold its socks off. So um, that's not even a plug-in hybrid, that's just a normal self-charging hybrid which, you know, um, doesn't excite me very much. But it's just interesting that people are making that first step and, and maybe the next step will be, um, um, you know, plug-ins or, yeah. or, or for electric. So anyway, mate, it's time to thank our sponsors once again, Solar Analytics and PV Cell from SunWiz. We do appreciate your ongoing support. Nigel, we've got one episode left for the year. Um, it'll be a good mm. one. Um, have some of your recordings from this week's um, gathering at Sundowners and um, a bit of a review of the year. Great idea, mate. Look forward to chatting to you. Good on you. Okay, and thanks everyone out there. And um, we'll be back again next week. And Nigel, very quickly, how do you plug our show on the um, on um, on Apple and iTunes? How do you leave a review? Please go to iTunes. Find us on iTunes by searching us up. Scroll right down to the bottom. Find the place where you can leave a star rating. Leave us a star rating. Leave us a review. It's a little bit tedious, but we'd really appreciate it. And just while we're on the subject of promoting things, I did do a really interesting interview with Dominic Vandenberg. She's the head of distributed energy at um, AGL, and she was talking about electric vehicles and really interesting forecasts from AGL. They fully expect at least half of all vehicle sales by 2030 to be electric. They reckon that maybe only one third of us actually be owning our own car because of autonomy and shared vehicles and how that fits in with their solar and battery storage offerings. Really interesting stuff. Have a listen on the Driven Podcast. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of PV Cell Software, powerful technology for solar sales and design. With free high-definition rooftop imagery in every PV Cell plan, retailers can stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar software.